Everyone, hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am very excited to introduce my guest. Uh, if you watched HBO's The Vow, then you are very familiar with her story or listen to the very excellent CBC podcast about uh, the Nexium cult. She also, she, so she uh, was heavily involved in Nexium and then got out and is now an advocate for. Uh, escaping, she can say this in a much more articulate way than I can, but uh, uh, escaping cults. She co-hosts with her husband, the wonderful podcast, A Little Bit Culty. Please put your hands together for Sarah Edmondson. Hello. Thanks Welcome. for having me. This is so fun. It's only taken us like five months, I think, to schedule this. Thanks for your patience with me. I know, but unlike many people who I have only met via email and Zoom, you are in LA for uh, the the second season finale screening of The Vow, and you invited me, so I got to meet you in person. That was fun, uh, and it was yeah, it was very nice. So I feel like we go way back. I feel like um, we do too. That was a good excuse yeah. for me to to see everyone I know in LA in one place, since I was only there for like thirty six hours. But it's such a treat because we don't I. The, so I'm in the same boat. I've I interview people and I never get to meet them in person. So I I uh, got to do that with a couple people meeting yeah. IRL. That's right. So you're in you're from Canada originally. Yes. You're now in Georgia. Yes. Yes. We moved to Atlanta, Georgia last summer. And I know that you just went through leaving like you just went through a move, right? Yeah, we moved in the summer and then we were like in a furnished rental and now we're in a permanent rental until until we find our our house so it's yeah, a lot of moving a lot of unsettled unsettledness this is my temporary podcast studio in the dining room but getting there one day at a time i like it though i mean look at these great curtains that absorb sound <laughs> <laughs> youtube.com slash allison rosen to see the great but perhaps temporary curtains yes. um so something <laughs> something i noticed at the screening uh, was so we watched the final episode mm-hmm. and then you um, and the director and forgetting who the third person was Diane Ben Scotter. She was the cult deprogrammer that right programmed or tried to deprogram Nancy Salzman in the vow. Right. So mm-hmm. the three of you um, did a Q and A, and I noticed that you got quite emotional, understandably. But I was just wondering for you what um, what was your experience of that night. Well, um, it was there was a lot going on. I mean, it was emotional for me to be with people like Jahan, the filmmaker, who I hadn't seen in actually, I think, years. And a lot of friends from different parts of my life, some of whom I've known for decades. Um, people that I tried to recruit, people that I did recruit, people that I've interviewed on the podcast. So there's a lot of interactions with just friends, which is emotional anyway, when it's all the history and Mm-hmm. Um, then to, and then to watch that episode with them. And I mean, it was, there was so much, um, and I had actually seen it. I got to see it the night before just to prepare myself. So I wasn't a total mm-hmm. wreck and even still it was emotional, um, because I was, it's the, it's the finale. So everything kind of gets wrapped up and I get to sort of settle into the, 
okay, this, this chapter of my life is closed ish. <laughs> still, he's still talking about it, but you know, Nancy's in jail and Keith is in jail and Allison is in jail. Uh, not you, Allison, Allison, <laughs> Mac, Allison Rosen is not in jail. Yeah. Just to be no, clear. not yet. Not yet. But the day's young. Yeah. The day is yes. Lots could happen. Um, <laughs> so yeah. And emotional also to see Nancy emotional, whether she's, we don't know if she's authentically emotional. It seems like her emotion is authentic. This is my, this is my general consensus. We just don't know what she is crying about at the end of the end of the vow. Some people are like, Oh, I felt so much empathy. Some people are like, no, she's lying. She's putting on a show or she's just crying for herself. We don't know. Uh, I tend to be more, you know, I lean towards being empathetic and Regardless, I was emotional watching her go through that journey and imagining what it would be like for me if I had been in her mm-hmm. shoes. So that, I think, is what empathy is. I don't know. Um, I don't know where she's at now, but I guess all of all of the tears and emotion was an a, 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 a accumulation of all of those things. Mm-hmm. I found my heart sank a little. I was surprised by my reaction. Well, uh, so... Like by light of day, I don't know that I agree with my reaction, but emotionally my heart sank when I heard that Nancy had been sentenced and for how many years she was. And Mm -hmm. I think maybe the part where she was saying that she didn't want to go to jail because she takes care of her parents. I don't know what it was. But then I was talking to a friend of mine um, who's very excited that I'm talking to you Mm because she's uh, like obsessed with What's her name? Uh, Her name is Robin Shore. Hi, Robin Shore. (laughs) She's going to love this. She's like, Nancy knew. Nancy 100% knew, whereas I'm a little more, I don't know if it's gullible or naive or just give people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm like, maybe she didn't know. I don't know. So so what do you think? Let me, and, and you, let, yeah. let me just explain for someone who doesn't know who we're talking about. Um, so there were two like main, you know, leaders of Nexium, Keith Ranieri, uh, who everyone called Vanguard and Nancy Salzman, who people called uh, Prefect and there's this question of how much of the nefarious stuff Nancy knew was going on. Yeah. I mean, I think what you recognize by the end is that she knew a lot. In fact, she knew pretty much everything, but that being said, she also was indoctrinated just like all of us were to believe that those things were good. So I think that's that's the problem that people can't wrap their head around when they look at it. They're like, but your own daughter and like all these women, that being said, I'm not making an excuse for her. I'm just sharing what indoctrination looks like, which is, a, by the mm-hmm. way, my sidebar, I think one of the best things that the vow did was show how deep indoctrination goes. Hence, by there's, you know, there's still people loyal, which we can talk about later if you want. But that Nan- watching Nancy deprogram and, and unwind that indoctrination, whether she comes to terms with her responsibility, her culpability or not, we don't know. But she's she started to recognize that she was part of something bad, you know, and and mm-hmm. that unwinding process has never been captured on film before, as far as I know. Most cult documentaries are, you know, people talking in a chair going like, yeah, and 20 years ago, I was part of the Osho cult or whatever, you know, like they're right. re- retroactively sharing what they went through. She's in real time unwinding, similar to how we did mm-hmm. in season one. But let me share something with you. And I'm not going to say this yes. person's name to protect her, but this is somebody who who was in the organization longer. She worked in, she lived and worked in Albany and trained um, like with Nancy pretty, like much more extensively than I did. And I just asked her last night what she thought of season two. And she said, thought Nancy was very disingenuous, not believable from my experience of the situation. 
only sad for herself and didn't didn't own up to even her own daughters. I was pretty disgusted. Oh, wow. So there you go. I mean, I like like I said at the screening, I went from being like F you, Nancy, to by the end being like, I'd like to reconcile with her and at least talk to her. I don't mm-hmm. like to have unresolved things with people. Like if I have a fight with somebody, I like to, you know, make sure even if we're not going to be friends that we like part on good terms. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I never got to do that with so many people, including Nancy and Lauren. Um, I've already forgiven Lauren years ago. Um, I hadn't forgiven Nancy and I not that I haven't forgiven her. I just I'm not like angry anymore, I guess is mm-hmm. the best way I can say it. When did you realize that you were part of something nefarious for yeah nefarious uh probably when i realized that the initials on my or the symbol on my body was not a symbol for the elements but with case initials and And then a conversation i had with mark where he shared with me that he heard that there was a secret society in albany where -hmm. women were being tasked to have sex with keith so and when, I, I was part of the secret society, but I hadn't heard about the sex yet. So right. I was like, oh, fuck. And I and he didn't know about the branding. So we that was the first time um, we had an open, honest conversation about what we both knew. And which is how mm-hmm. Keith got away with things for so long. Everyone was siloed with secrets about what they what they were doing with Keith. So nobody nobody likes like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Right. By design. Yeah, yeah by design. When Mark told this to you were you incredulous at all or were you like was it like an aha moment it was an aha moment wait what's the what's the uh nexium name for an aha moment? integration yes was it an integration it's a huge integration i had a big integration you know it's so ironic um keith used to teach us like how to sell this Mm -hmm. how to sell the curriculum and he would say you can't tell them what people you can't tell people what it's going to be like because it's an experience you have to experience you can't tell people what it's like to ski to have to go skiing. Right. Right. So the best thing you could do is come up with metaphors, like the one I just used mm-hmm. and the metaphor. <laughs> so I got good at that uh, without even thinking about it. Um, the, the metaphor he used to use was, do you remember the movie, the sixth sense? Yes. So we talked about that in the info info nights for, mm-hmm. for ESP. And I'd say, okay, guys, do you remember the sixth sense? Remember it's weird. And like, it's sort of a thriller and it's a mystery. And it's a bit scary, but what do you find out at the end? One piece of information you find out at the end that you didn't know at the beginning. Do you remember what it was? Yes. Which is? Should we say it? Well, don't, sp- spoiler alert. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> plug, plug your ears if you've not seen The Sixth Sense. Okay, what is it? He's a ghost. Yeah. So Bruce Willis is dead. He died at the beginning. And all the scenes throughout the entire movie, he's a ghost. And that's why his wife's not talking to him. It's not that she's ignoring him. She can't see him. And... I, this is me explaining it in the informa- information night. Mm-hmm. So you're, you you now play through the movie in your head. And actually, they show scenes in the movie of what's happening. And you go, oh, that's what's going on. He's mm-hmm. a ghost. So ironically, that's what happened with me. But it was like, oh, Keith's a oh. sociopath. <laughs> and now, then I'm what? like, and then I replay my whole 12 years going, that's why he didn't want a proper website. Mm. He didn't really want to grow. He just wanted enough fresh pussy to keep his, you know, dick say, wet. <laughs> yeah, dick wet. Let's, let's just go. Let's just get his, <laughs> this. Is I can say that shit on this yeah, podcast, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The graphic and gross. <laughs> is limp dick wet? Yeah, that's what he needed. Sorry. Wait, he, I didn't know he didn't want a website. Oh yeah, like <clears throat> he did. He didn't want to be tracked, or what was what was just, his reluctance? 
he just like he honestly i think he was stuck in the 70s mm-hmm. or like early 80s um in many ways there's a th- some people have a theory that he just didn't want to grow too much because if you grew too big it would be under too much scrutiny and he'd be found out like i had an in with the head of lululemon who were looking for a new personal development program they'd been doing landmark which by the way is my opinion a little bit culty Oh, it's definitely a little bit called episode coming on that soon. Recording it tomorrow, um, which I've been waiting for for like two years, but I've been mm-hmm. trying to find the right person to interview because nobody wants to talk about it. Anyway, sidebar. So, so Lululemon was looking for a new personal development program. Nancy came to Vancouver, met with them, and they were like ready to take the next step. And Keith's like, yeah, they have to fly to Albany and take a 16-day training. And then they can decide. And I'm like, can't we go to them and do like a couple of days and see if they like it? Nope. Hmm. So it's that so kind think- of thing. He just didn't, he, he, he thwarted growth. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you said that you realized he was a sociopath and then you kind of went back and, you know, were able yep. to see a lot of things clearly prior to that. What did you think he was? Like, what was your <laughs> assessment of him? Well, I was told he was celibate, which is ridiculous, obviously knowing what we know now. We were also told he was a renunciate, which means mm-hmm. he was, doesn't have any material possessions doesn't have a car, off the grid, doesn't need anything because he's so self-evolved. He's like Buddha. It's like a monk, right? Right. I mean, I thought he was a quirky, philosophical, volleyball-playing nerd who was highly intelligent, and all the women around him were just there to help make his life easier so that he could solve the world's problems. Mm. I just thought that was his team. I didn't realize it was his harem. You had nothing sexual with him. Ugh, no. I kissed him on the lips, but we all did. That was, we all kissed each other on the lips. How did, how did the. Like we would have kissed each other on the lips. Right. Girls too. It wasn't just that. Was it ever discussed or explained or was it just like you see people doing it so you know that like this is how, you know, like family feud. Yeah. Kind of both. Um, I remember being uncomfortable with it at first and somebody saying, you know, that's how they do it in Europe. You know, it's. (laughs) This was, it's more intimate. This is a close community. It's, we build humanity and, you know, you don't have to do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. We we weren't forced to do it. Mm. Um, I actually, other, not him, because I find him gross, but like, I don't, I don't mind lip kissing as long as people are healthy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, I, if it's somebody that I'm attracted to, great bonus, you know? (laughs) Um, Do you think that he wanted to have something inappropriate with you i know that he had invited you on long walks a lot and you uh didn't make the time in the middle of the night yeah i mean in the when i was in it i didn't think so in fact like i saw him having very like helping women more intimately and and being close with women in a way that i'm like i wonder why he doesn't put that kind of energy into me like thinking that he was helping grow them like coach Mm -hmm. them you know um but at the same time feeling kind of repulsed and Something inside of me always kept my distance, which I thought was my limitation. Like it was my. That's that's their the way what they made you. Yeah. Think, right. That's what they made me think. Like I have some vulnerability. I have like I'm not emotionally available or a vulnerability. I've struggled being vulnerable because he's right. so like he can just see you, which is true. Like when he looked at you, he'd be like seeing into my soul. So I was like, hey, I gotta go. <laughs> like, right. So it made you uncomfortable. Made me uncomfortable. But um, when I left, I wondered that. And then it wasn't till the trial when it was verified that. Um, yeah, he had, he was excited when Lauren recruited me. And I think his exact words was, does she know that now she has to do whatever you say, including if you tell her to have sex with another man, she has to. 
So that sort of implies that was his plan, you know, right. Uh, and putting his initials on me um, would imply that also. Um, but uh, and you're, yeah, you're referring to one of the most shocking details. Oh, sorry. Thing, yeah, of course. The uh, being branded. And if people want to know more about that, read your memoir, Scarred or watch The Vow. Thank you. Yeah. That, I mean, that was, unf- you know, obviously I wish I'd made different choices, but the silver lining of it is, is that what woke me up ultimately mm-hmm. and allowed me to, to have the awareness integration that Keith is a sociopath. I mean, who does that? Who starts a personal development program and then starts a secret society within that for women and extorts nude pictures and then puts their initials on the women, including married women. Like if a group of women around him wanted to put his initials on their crotch, great. But like, don't lie to other women who also are married and put right. this man's initials and say, oh, it's a symbol for the elements. And how you know? did you realize it was his initials? Um, this part's a bit of a blur. It's in the book because there's a couple things that happened in a very specific order. I think Mark and I spoke. And then the same day um, I told somebody, uh, I forget her name in my book. I changed her name. She was one of the slaves. I say slaves with mm-hmm. air quotes underneath me that had been put there by Allison Mack because once I was in, I was told that I had to have slaves. So she was my first. And I said, to her, she hadn't been branded or anything. And I said, listen, you're not going to Albany. You're not getting branded. And I showed her because I was, I, I just had my awareness. I had my Bruce Willis's dead awareness. <laughs> and I was like trying to figure out what to do. And I was like getting her, I was like telling her like, we're not doing this anymore. You're not my slave anymore. And I showed her the brand and she's the one who saw the KR. Mm. And that's my, and we also saw an AM, which uh, Allison Mack, but it turns out, I don't think that's the case. I think that Keith is far too narcissistic to share that monogram with anybody. Right. So on the most recent episode of A Little Bit Culty, which for some reason my tongue is having, is saying, (laughs) I want to say Elizabeth Culty, which I hope someone takes that name. (laughs) Um, Your husband, uh, Nippy says that uh, he's talking about how when he was growing up, he had like, you know, leaders and athletes on his wall and things. And he thinks that Keith studied psychopaths because he realized he was a psychopath. Yeah. Um, Or he realized he was one. It's a good it's a chilling moment when Nippy says this. Um, Do you do you agree? Like, do you agree that Keith was that aware of what he was? I do. Yeah, I do. And I believe that he planned this for a long time. Um, what I've learned, and there's, there's debate whether he's a psychopath or a sociopath, sociopath. I don't really, I don't know. I, I'm not an mm-hmm. expert in that field. But one thing he ironically taught us is that, that sociopaths, um, in his model, he called it um, a full suppressive. A full mm-hmm. suppressive loves the long game. They love to, like, if they don't like you, instead of just you know, murdering your dog or like running over your dog as a neighbor, they'd slowly murder, uh, sorry, poison your dog over time and watch you suffer and like not know what's happening to your dog and taking your dog to the vet and being upset about the dog, like planning a long-term demise. Um, Right. And he also said that sociopaths love to do what they're doing in plain sight. So you'd never suspect them. And you think he was just talking about himself? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Oh, that's, I know it's really creepy. I mean, the thing is, these people do exist. We just never assumed it was him. Right. And did he give examples of who he was talking about? Um, Probably. I I don't think he would. 
we we did this thing in Axiom or an ESP. It was like we're stay out of content and stick to process was a mm. term that was used a lot. So like you give you the concept and then you'd have to look for it yourself. Right. You know, like right. they give you a strategy. There was another thing that he taught us called shifter strategy, which he was also mm-hmm. doing, which is um, it's things like, a, you know, a company that makes beauty products that possibly cause, you know, have carcinogenics in it and cause cancer. That same company is owned by another company who creates the chemo mm-hmm. to fix the cancer. Is it is an idea of what people might call a shifter strategy? Wasn't that part of his justification for not picking up litter? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. He he thought that the recycling was a shifter strategy. <laughs> that the pe- this is one of my yeah. favorite mundane, insane I know. details. I know he he thought that recycling was. And this is like, and I'm an avid recycler, so I'd like bring home my kombucha bottles and like recycle them outside of the center, like at at my where I was staying, because I'm like you're crazy, but. Anyway, um, yeah, he thought that the people who created the problem were benefiting from the solution to the problem. And that was a shifter strategy, which is what he was doing. He created the problem in us. We felt like Mm. we were broken. We were deficient. And now we needed the curriculum to fix it. So he was doing a shifter strategy on us while teaching us shifter. Did you meet people who, I mean, I know that you're your stepmom and, and, and your mom as well. But like, did you, how frequently did it happen that, that either you would bring someone in or just someone would kind of come in and then they would just be like, Nope, not for me. And then leave. It was, it happened. It happened, but it wasn't that frequent. I remember I brought a friend from Vancouver um, and she had a great time in her five day. And then she went back to Vancouver and I guess she researched or her partner researched and she reached out to me. She's like, I don't think this is good. And I think it's a cult or whatever. And I'm like, you just had such a great time, clearly. Mm-hmm. And the, th- the thing is, is that they prepped us for this type of thing. Clearly, you've changed. Your husband doesn't like it, you know, and mm, now you're right. looking for reasons. So like, I'm, you know, I felt sad for them. Mm. I, I, I never I never thought that there was anything to those claims um, until later, obviously. I mean, an interesting aspect of all of this uh, and I think it, it's it's used artfully by the people by the makers of the vow who did such a good job. Is that at the beginning? It's like my husband and I were like, I told like I want to join this. I want to do the EMs. I want to like you know take control of my life in this way. And like you completely see the appeal. And even in reading your book, um, which by the way we're going to give away a copy. So stay tuned for details on that. <laughs> a, f- a fun giveaway. 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 Um, yeah. <laughs> Tony, play some kind of sound effect. Hi, Tony. Hi. Yes, I'm <laughs> yes. here. <laughs> play some kind of sound effect effect to indicate the later giveaway. That's pretty good. <laughs> Perfect. That, that makes me want to enter uh, the giveaway. <laughs> it's working. Yeah. Um. Uh. Like I, my question is so so the tech that's the name of the mm-hmm. stuff you that, that you learned like do you how do you feel about it now do you use any of it i mean some of it seems to have some value question yeah. mark this is again that's a debate in the nexium world it's not um there isn't a consistent response to this my response is um that keith stole from a lot of modalities and mm-hmm. basically went into a spiritual bookstore and highlighted the best of the best <laughs> Um, and then repackaged it in the, in a curriculum mixed in with some major strategies for manipulation. Mm -hmm. So I think that 
if people want to keep the curriculum and they don't sort of pull those things apart, it can be dangerous because something like, for example, personal responsibility, that's a great concept. Something happens in your life. You go, my God, this thing happened to me and I'm such a victim, which doesn't necessarily serve you. No, people can be victimized, which is a separate thing, right? Mm-hmm. But if you, if you're, you know, acting as a victim in a situation versus like, how did I cause this and what responsibility, like if I'm going to apply the Nexium tenants to what happened with me, I would say mm-hmm. something like, you know, I could have said no and I could have, um, Ask more questions. Well, actually, that's not true because I did ask questions and they said I was being controlling. Suppressive. Right? Yeah, being suppressive. Well, controlling when I was asking questions. Part of my mm-hmm. journey was to not ask questions and just do the process. Right. Right? So taking resp- personal responsibility in a situation, anything in your life, you can look at like, how would I have handled this thing differently? And like, what expectations I have did I have that weren't met versus this thing happened, that can be helpful. But if you actually are being abused, mm-hmm. there's no way to hold somebody accountable because it's always your fault. Right. So a lot of the great aspects of Nexium, things like personal responsibility, where it could be flipped to be manipulative. So if you don't really do that work, then you're still in cult mindset. Mm-hmm. Nippy and I spent a lot of time going like, okay, what's this particular tool? Where'd it come from? Can we still use it? And we just know that it didn't mm-hmm. come from Keith. I don't right. use anything that came from Keith. This is a sociopath. Mm. So, yeah, I, I was mm. going to ask, like, what ha- have you had to unlearn a lot of things? Yes. Yeah, for sure. I've had to unlearn a lot of things. And some things happen very naturally. Like, it was just part of our training that if we met somebody, we'd automatically be scanning for which program would be a benefit for them. Mm. Where could I, like, if I met you, Allison, I'd be like, okay, she's a podcaster. She wants, like, what are her goals? But, like, try to figure out what your limitations are, where you're stuck in your life. And then I'd show you how our five-day could help you with that thing. And so to, to, to leave and to not be meeting people and scanning them for what curriculum money. they would – Yeah, well, money too. But it was also, like, yeah. how can I help them? It, right. I, I mean, I was seeing it as, like, which program would help you in your life? And, mm-hmm. and the fact that I got paid to do that, I mean, it was, it was great. But yeah, then, what I said yeah, yeah. was cynical. You you yeah, make yeah. the point in the book that Barbara Boucher kind of gives you a way of thinking. Because at, at the beginning, you're like, but I don't want to get or like, why is that OK for me to get a commission if I enroll people? It feels like making money off of my friends. Right. And they, they give you a different framework right. to look at it like, but you're helping them. Why? You know, and, and you're providing value. Why should you not be compensated for value? Yeah. And, and that and that's true if I was truly helping them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I don't think that's a problem. That being said, I don't ever want to make money off my friends again. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, like asking my friends who are fans of the podcast to join Patreon feels funny for me still. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel great meeting people now and not be scanning them or have any ulterior motive, whether it's a positive intention or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to like know who they are and get to know somebody without trying to like, you know feed them into a a program. Ultimately, did this whole experience, do you, did this whole experience allow, or no, let me rephrase the question. Mm -hmm. Via Nexium, did you get to know yourself better or did you become alienated from yourself? I think both. I think in the program, I was very disassociated. Dis, I was mm-hmm. dis, disassociated from myself in that I was in a constant state of go, 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 build, 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 rush, rush, rush. Um, 
that's been something I've really had to work hard at unwinding because I'm mm-hmm. just like, I'm like, so like anxiety driven hyper. <laughs> Some mm-hmm. people call it a high functioning, um, high functioning. What's the word for it? High functioning anxiety. I think it is. I don't know. There's a, there's a diagnosis, but that's me. Uh-huh. Um, and so I wasn't ever really connecting with myself and they talk about in cult recovery, how you have like your pre-cult identity and then you have your cult identity mm-hmm. and they're kind of two separate people. So some, even when writing the book, I, there was so much had happened. And when I was full Sarah in the cult identity that I couldn't mm-hmm. even remember because I was, I, I mean, I was, was disassociated. Mm-hmm. Which is also what I did during the branding. I feel I, like I completely separated from my body to get through that. Right. Um, so, but I think in the process of getting out and finding myself again, actually was very self-affirming uh, in terms of like knowing who I am and what I'm capable of and how I live and survive under adversity. Because this is mm-hmm. obviously the hardest thing that's ever happened in my life. Um, and to know that, I feel like I did the right thing in, in that moment um, is self-defining. Mm-hmm. And how did you reconnect with yourself? Like how, how did you deprogram? I'm, I think I'm still deprogramming to be honest. Um, I've gone through different stages at first. It, it, there's like so many different layers. Um, it's funny cause I'm kind of, Hang, connecting with these two women who have recently got young women who have got getting out of cults and I'm watching them go through. I'm like, Oh my God, I remember, I forgot how, how crazy it is. It's a crazy journey it is, but there's different stages. One of them was just being with ex members. Like a lot of us in the mm-hmm. Vancouver community, we all got out together sitting around and talking and expressing and sharing because when we were in the community, because I was a higher rank, I couldn't express anything that I was displeased with that would not mm-hmm. have been appropriate anything that wasn't like putting Keith and Nancy on a pedestal and singing their praises is like the, the prefect and the vanguard. Right. So paying to sit tribute. paying tribute, yeah. Paying excessive amounts of tribute. So because, and also because we were taught that if you say anything negative about somebody, like if I said like, you know, Nancy was got really angry at me, that would have been so bad because I would have been speaking dishonorably about her. Even just to reflect reality. Even to reflect reality, because there must have been some reason why she was using Mm. a tone with me. And you wouldn't want to express anything that would give anyone a bad impression of somebody else. So not only could we share what happened, but I could be like, you know what? Nancy was a real bitch to me. You know, like that was such a relief. Oh, you mean in the... Afterwards, afterwards, yeah. yeah. And what I hadn't realized is that we had suppressed our emotions. Like we had really... To, to show, especially as a leader, to make to make sure that people knew that these tools, the tech worked, to be happy all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh yeah. There's a moment in your book where you're struggling to have your coach. People get to a certain level or whatever, and and Keith is like, "Well, why would they want it when you make it look hard?" Yeah. In essence. Yeah. So you had you your your whole being had to exude something that sold that sold it to them. Yeah. The, the, this is the best thing possible versus mm. I'm struggling. And I was struggling. It was hard. It was hard to do what I was doing. I didn't realize I was emulating that, but that was the feedback he gave me. How so, much? Yeah. Um, so when you joined, uh, you had a boyfriend who joined with you and then you guys split up. And then at a certain point you met your now husband. Um, how much could you be real with 
nippy like before you had the real before you guys got out or was it like you weren't even being real with yourself I think we were being real with each other as much as we could be <laughs> you know what I mean like if I if there were people that I didn't like Claire Bronfman was somebody that I really struggled with and mm-hmm. always thought that she was kind of nasty I wouldn't have used mm-hmm. those words but like just just really like not kind things that she'd done. And I couldn't really tell anybody that except for Nippy mm-hmm. and maybe Mark Vicente. But I'd have to say it in an, in an honorable way. Like instead of like, you know, she did this and I don't like it. I'd be like, you know, I'm really struggling with my perceptions. It's like on me, right? Like I'm feeling really conflicted about this behavior. <laughs> you know, like you have to be so careful. Right. So it's Ugh. just so self-limiting. But yeah, Nippy and I, we would kind of bitch together about things that were not cool. I mean, we like there was this time where we weren't getting paid for things. Uh, that was also on Claire because she felt like we were being entitled. So because we were entitled, she was withholding money. Um, <laughs> in wanting to get paid yeah. for what, what you're what you're yeah, Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and now I see it as gross money. But at the time, I was like, I did this work. This was my job. And now you're withholding it. Like, it was just... Is that a cult thing? Because I was... was, I worked a job... This is going to be annoyingly vague for people who are trying (laughs) to figure out what this is. But I worked a job where uh, people weren't allowed to ask when they were getting paid or ask about... I I had a different deal, so I was. So it was, like, pretty cut and dry for me. But I watched other people just... They were just like, I hope I get paid. And I was like, this is insane. Um... I don't know if it's a cult thing. I think generally the process of keeping people dependent is a cult mm-hmm. thing. So, you know, Claire and the, some of the leaders were notorious for like bringing people to Albany and promising them a career or a, what they called an ethical value exchange. Like you can take the curriculum for free, but we we'll, we need you to do the admin or like to, you know, clean the center or mm-hmm. organize that like some job they give them like a, a job to do. And then right. people would be like, okay, well, I'm doing this job and I'm getting the curriculum, but like, how, how do I earn money to live. <laughs> yeah. You know, like how do I eat, you know? And so there's a lot of people that were doing things like that in the company that mm-hmm. were just, you know, they, they basically became indentured uh, slaves. This is before even the slave thing Ugh. happened. Yeah. You know, I think um, a lot of the, or, or something that, uh, a point that's made in a lot of the cult documentaries I've seen of late uh, or miniseries, documentaries um is that you might think it's a certain personality type that is susceptible to joining a cult but really anyone can find themselves <clears throat> in a cult do you agree with that do you believe that yeah I mean, you're, the, you're the children of therapists yes so I'm people a- <laughs> might think <laughs> maybe that made it a child the child of therapists. i am a child of therapist i mean it, here's what here's what i've come to anybody in the right circumstances in other words it's not necessarily about being a vulnerable person. It's about a moment that's like situational vulnerability. So like everybody, even the most highest self-esteem, high functioning, successful person at some point in their life goes through a rough patch. Mm-hmm. You know, they realize they need to quit drinking or they have a divorce or somebody has an affair or they're in between jobs and it's a low point. In one of those points, if they meet somebody that they trust, who's like, you know, hey, come check out this yoga class with me, or I mm. want to bring you to my um, a friend's party. It's not, hey, come join the cult. 
Right. It's an invitation to something that is a step to something else. That is a step mm-hmm. to something else. So anyone who says they're not susceptible to joining a cult, it's this is one of Nippy's big sound bites. He always says, like, if you think that you're not, then that makes you vulnerable because you're not gonna look what know what it looks like or sounds like when someone says, Hey, check this thing out. Mm-hmm. You know? And because of things like the vow and all the many, many cult podcasts and documentaries that are out there right now, people are starting to know the red flags. We get letters all the time being like, because of your podcast, I was invited to this thing that seemed totally benign. And then at the end, I was invited to this other thing, which felt weird. And I felt the red, my red internal red flags come up because I, I'd listened to your podcast. And then they yeah, went and Googled oh, it great. and didn't do the thing. Right. So like, that's, Huge. If I had had seen The Vow, if it was starring other people in 2005 when I joined, mm-hmm. I would never would have even gone to the five day because I would have mm-hmm. been like, you're trying to pressure me to join something. And I don't feel like I if, if it's really that good, it'll still be there next next month or next year. Right. Right. That urgency. Yeah, that urgency. Um, did I answer so your on, question? Yes, you okay. did. Uh, on <laughs> the Evan Rachel Wood mm-hmm. episode of A Little Bit Culty. Um, you guys are talking about questions that people ask that are, that show that they don't really get it. And I think the specific question was, I think an interviewer had asked, um, Evan Rachel Wood, like sort of to go back to what we were just saying, like, you know, what was it about you that drew you to him or what was Mm -hmm. about him that blah, 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 um, and of course, I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to ask a question that shows I don't get it. So what are, okay. the questions? <laughs> what are the questions? Like, what kind of questions make you feel that like, oh, this person just doesn't get it? Oh, I had one last night. She said um, something about what did you uh, say to lure them in? And I'm like, oh, I didn't lure anybody like I that implies that I knew something. And and mm-hmm. and people who don't know the whole story will look at me and go, how could you not know? Mm-hmm. How could you? have missed all that. And the, how I missed it is that I wasn't there. I was in Vancouver. So right. I'd come for trainings every now and then when everyone was on their best behavior and I wasn't living the day to day. Just to go back for one second, then I want to come back to what you just said. When you, when you said who's, who's vulnerable or who's susceptible, it's yes, it's everybody. But I also think, and what I've seen, at least from the people who are outspoken about it, generally that everybody is idealistic. Most of the people mm. that I've seen want something um, better for themselves in the world. They they want to be a part of something bigger. Many people want to be a part of a community. They want belonging. And those are very normal, natural things. Of course, there's people who don't want to be part of a community, right? And they just want to be mm-hmm. on their own. And that's a certain type of person. So maybe they're not susceptible to a community cult like Nexium, but maybe they're more susceptible to an online rabbit hole and next thing you know they're like at their computer and they're part of QAnon or something right you know what I mean so they feel like they're they have answers now to what's going on in the world and there's this us and them and then they feel good about themselves so if somebody's like really lonely obviously that can you know fill the void anyway we could we could talk so much about that but back to your question about um what questions, questions are, that indicate yes yeah, so yeah I get it yeah I mean <laughs> Yeah, why do people join cults? I mean, this, that, that doesn't mean they don't get it. They just want to know why people join cults. Um, let me think. Um, yeah, I mean, why didn't? Oh, yeah. So people, when people ask, like, okay, you're you're at the night of the branding, why didn't you just walk out the door? Right? Why mm-hmm. like why don't you just leave if you didn't want to get branded? Um, 
And I think that whole experience was designed to prevent you from doing that. And you had been, sorry, just to, just to defend you against this. (laughs) You had been primed to think that if you have the urge to bolt, that means something, you know, meaningful and profound is happening. Yes. And that I, because I'm so uncomfortable, it means I'm doing it right. And if I leave now, I'm not going to grow. I mean, there was so much gaslighting externally Mm -hmm. and internally in that moment to keep me there. Um, so yeah, I mean, people who don't understand coercive control really can't wrap their heads around any of this. So mm-hmm. I, I do definitely appreciate when people read my book. So thank you for doing that because it gives people, I think, more of a scope of the steps. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, of course, if I had gone to my first five day and they said, okay, so now we're going to lie you down on this massage table and uh, we're going to sear Keith Raniere's <sighs> initials into your flesh. I would have obviously run for the hills, but it's 12 years later. 12 years is a long time, a lot of indoctrination. Right. Uh, I'm I'm thinking that for you personally, you had been in there 12 years, Mm -hmm. but also this, that particular level of like evil, Keith didn't, did, do you find did Keith get progressively worse and more brazen as it went on? I mean, he must have yes. because he got caught eventually. Yeah. 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 And we've kind of hypothesized based on what we know about this personality type is that they're just not in reality at this point because mm-hmm. no one's around them saying, I don't think you should do that. Mm, that's not a good idea. And, and like for him, his, his, you know, now we know Pam who died was his life partner. I thought it was his assistant, but, um, yeah, they he he thought that he had to secure his loyalty. It, like he had to secure loyalty to him. So up until DOS, and we'd found this out from women who left before DOS was created. When they found out about DOS, they said that life in Nexium as as a member of his harem, like as a spiritual wife, was exactly the same. He was taking nude photos of them. Mm. So he had collateral. Um they had to be at his beck and call whenever he needed them or wanted them. And they were on calorie, restricted calories. They were sleep deprived. So it's, it's basically he just took all the things that he that seemed to work and made it into a mm-hmm. system, called it DOS, and got other women to bring in other women for him and secured loyalty for him. I mean, this we I think they got into like 20, under 30 women got branded, but over 100 were in DOS when we blew it up. Mm-hmm. They just hadn't been branded yet. <sighs> What do you make of the people who are still loyal to him? And one of them is Nikki Klein, who is an actress who you had enrolled, right? Yeah, I brought her in like shortly after I got involved. We started at the same time and we weren't super, super close. But um, when I met her, I was like, oh, I think she'd like what I was, you know, what we were doing. I was shocked when she moved to Albany. Oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah, she she made that move. And I was like, why are we to Albany? She has a great acting career. She was a young actress, sold her place, big mistake. Um, what do I make of the loyalists? It's hard because Nippy's really been like, please stop talking about it. Because the more I talk, the more they dig their heels in. Mm. Um, and I can hear him. He's going, you're talking about it. <laughs> trying to figure out what to say. He's listening. You're not supposed to. Li- you thought you were napping. Sorry. Hi, Nippy. Allison <laughs> says hi. Um, listen, I want them all to live their best lives. I want them all to be free of this. I want them to move on. 
they think that they are, they think they think they're right. And I think that, you know, like when Nippy and I left, it was very difficult. It was very embarrassing. We had a, Nippy calls it the shit sandwich, a huge <laughs> shit sandwich to eat going, we were wrong on a public mm -hmm. stage. And, you know, my son's teachers know about this. My next door neighbor who just thought I was an actor knows about this. Like everybody knows. Right. And that was a hugely embarrassing, but it had to be done. And now to, to admit it is a way bigger shit sandwich because now they're, they've denied all of the evidence. Mm, they've denied for them to admit it. now. Yeah. yeah. They said like the whole right. trial was a farce, you know, FBI planted evidence. All the women are lying. Sarah made it up and over-exaggerated to get a book deal. You know, it's kind of horrific. It's horrific. Um, so, I mean, I fluctuate between really sad and then also like really angry because these are my friends or former friends, you know, shit talking me. Um, and the, not just me, like the thing that I want to like slap them across the face with is, okay, let's just say that I made it all up. Okay. <laughs> I loved the branding. I was so happy to get branded. And then I exaggerated it to, um, you know, because Nippy was upset. That's part of their narrative. Um, and to get out of my obligations in Nexium. Okay, let's just say that's all true. What about all the other women? <laughs> right? right? What about the Fernandez sisters? He th there's evidence, it's totally documented, without a shadow of a doubt, that he had sex with three sisters, all of whom had abortions. Didn't know, none of, they didn't know about each other. Some of them knew about mm -hmm. each other. Many, many, many women have come forth and said, he abused me. He was horrible to me. My life was ruined. I can't have children because of me. Keith left his life partner in her own feces oh, for hours. Like all of this is documented and they're going, yeah, but I wasn't there and I, that wasn't my experience. Therefore, it's not true. Fuck you. You know, I don't have to experience Hitler to know <laughs> how horrible he is or was. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, that being said, when I was in it, that's what I said. People would say, isn't there allegations? And then I'm like, well, it's not my experience. So I know that it's their indoctrination and I know it's their programming. I just want them to wake up and it's, I'm not yeah. going to be the one to do it. The more I speak about it, I'm, I'm trying not to, um, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard not to, because obviously I'm fired up about it. And I almost like I've said, I don't want to stop until they're out. But the more that I do it, I think it makes them dig in more because mm -hmm. they're like, you know? No, Sarah's wrong. I'm right. Keith is good. They, they they haven't had the Bruce Willis is dead moment yet. Right. And oh, when they do, it's going to fuck them up. And it's going to be harder. Yes. What was your... <laughs> Hold on, he's coming. He's coming. That way, <laughs> I try so hard. <laughs> Come say hi. It's Allison Rosen. You didn't meet her. I met her in L.A. You can edit this part out if you want. Just oh, no, that's fine. It's not live, but the video is there. <laughs> Nippy just had a nap, although. I didn't really have a nap. Hi. Hi. He can't hear me. He can't but hello. Hear nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hi, too. Nippy. Nice to meet you. Likewise. I'm a fan of your podcast. Thank you. I'm a fan <laughs> of it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is she still talking when I, about what I told her not to? He told me I can't talk No, about she, it. she wrapped I'm it up. She you. put a button on it. Uh, here's, here's, my, here's my thing. Here, put, speak in the mic. I okay. just think the best thing you could do for them is leave them alone. But why? Okay. Why? That makes sense. 
Because they need an adversary and you're playing that role. And they get to feel good about being righteous about what they're doing and you're letting them do that. I think the more compassionate thing to do is just let them be. So they can go figure it out on their own. Is that my breath? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. Sorry. You need to brush your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Fair. I love you. I can smell it through my cheeks. So one more question from me, and then we have some questions that listeners sent in. Um, what was your experience like writing the book, and was it a legal nightmare? Um, my experience writing the book was actually like pretty difficult because of the memory gaps. Um, I did have a co-writer, which made it a lot easier because she drove it. Um, and a lot of it like initially was her just asking me questions uh, and then writing it. And then I'd look at it and make it more accurate. And then she'd make it better. Like she'd, mm-hmm. it was a lot of back and forth. Um, I wish that I'd had more time. Our publisher was trying to get it out around the time of Keith's sentencing, um, which it, it would have been, but then it got pushed because of COVID. Uh, I think something happened where it didn't happen then, but the book was ready, but it meant that I had like one pass to edit. Mm-hmm. So when I read it, I'm like, mm, there's some things that just aren't, quite um right for me yeah like how do you mean like i just wish i'd i'd finessed some things like made it Mm -hmm. um there's some details that were left out and i just wish i had more time with that that's all Mm -hmm. and it was a it wasn't a legal nightmare it did go through legal um like a legal vetting i guess by the publisher Mm -hmm. just to make sure and there were some things that were cut out like i was i was pretty clear that i thought keith had poisoned women and they cut that out because that was a I, I was allowed to like allude to it. Like, uh-huh. I wonder why all these women are dying. Is somebody poisoning their water system? Like, and things like that. Right. But this is before his sentence. So it was, it was um, a different time, you know? So you, you feel strongly that he was poisoning them? I feel strongly that it's very possible that he was poisoning them. And I have somebody close to him who shared with me that he told them, because she was like, why are all these women who are totally healthy, you know, mm-hmm. kombucha drinking, green juice drinking, daily infrared sauna, walking healthy nut bars like me, um, <laughs> getting cancer and these really obscure, aggressive forms of cancer. And he said, I think that someone's poisoning their water system and it wouldn't be hard to do. Um, and these are all the like all the older women. And by older, I mean like 50s, like late mm-hmm. 40s, early 50s were getting sick with cancer. And this is around the time when he hit it. There was like the old guard and the new guard. So I think he was making way for the new guard, the young women, the young nubile women. You said that um, Pam Caffritz was his life partner. We found that out after. (laughs) But what, what does, but what do you mean? What does that mean? I mean, they were together all the time. Um, And like I said, he, she was always like bringing him food or like driving him. So I, it was, I was under the assumption that since he's celibate, this was his assistant and she right. was like assisting him in his life. So he could do something. But was she like the queen bee more than all the other ones somehow? Uh, yeah. I mean, she was, she'd been around the longest and she was mm. also in the ranking system. She was a purple sash. So mm. keep in mind, there's white students, yellow coaches, orange proctors, green senior proctors. That's where I got to blue counselor and two purple senior counselors. So mm. she was one of those. And um, so she, ha- she was the highest rank. 
but she was also like kind of a diss. So like, I didn't really take her particularly seriously. Mm. She wasn't particularly intelligent. It wasn't actually until her memorial service. Did they talk about this in the vow? I don't remember. The memorial service was the weirdest situation. It was, it was the January um, before I left. And that's when I was like, were they together or were they just like partner? Are we like partners or like partners? Like what kind of partners are we talking about here? Right. You know, what, what about it was so weird? Oh, it was like, they rented out this huge, it was called the Saratoga Springs hall. I think is that what it's called now? It's fancy, fancy hall. Mm. Um, and there was like these stations, like a museum, um, where you could put on headphones and listen to, um, like a narration about different things in her life. Like this was her running and this was her comedy and this was her, her oh, wow. life's purpose. And this was her, how she affected people. And there was like a video they'd made videos of, of people doing like testimonials about Pam and her life at each station with like a mannequin wearing her running clothes. Oh, that's weird. It's creepy, right? That's super creepy. That's making me very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And was everyone like, oh, this is so beautiful? Um, I don't even remember. I think it was a very strange night. Um, also, the other thing that was strange is that Allison Mack took the mic and was like emceeing it as if she was kind of replaced her. Ugh. And now we know now we know that that's exactly what happened. Yeah. It was the oh. new madam, the new the new uh Jillian Maxwell. That's 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 who Pam was. She was Jillian Maxwell. Right. Ugh. To Keith's Epstein. <sighs> yeah. <Blech. laughs> um, <clears throat> okay. So we have some questions that listeners sent in. Uh, I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen, all sorts of rewards. Uh, there's bonus episodes of the friend zone. That's my Patreon podcast. I just did a huge, uh, ask me anything episode with all sorts of juicy stuff that you guys might be wondering about. Um, and there's a level where you can text me and I'll text you back. And, uh, also you can get your questions in, for the guests ahead of the line, and um, we have a little song. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay, so a lot of great questions. Uh, as I'm looking through them, I'm realizing that we have discussed a lot of them. And since we are pressed for time, if I think that we've already done the question, I'm not going to... Uh, uh, bring it up. So Lisa Murphy Tate says, were you looking for guidance in your life? What was your upbringing? Were you, re were you raised with a belief system or religion? That's a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> let's get her. Maybe my just the one of like, were yeah, you, were let's, you raised let's, with let's get her system? my book because I do break that down, but I was like, my mom's Jewish. My dad's not, uh, he was raised Anglican, but we celebrate Christmas. So I always called myself half and half celebrated mm -hmm. the holidays. Wasn't religious in any way with either of those things. Um, which I think is par partly what made me a little bit susceptible in that I didn't have like, like I think a lot of people, why they fall into a religion or they're raised that way is it gives them like a rule, like a rule playbook for life, mm -hmm. you know? And I didn't have that other than what my parents had taught me, which is a lot of really wonderful values. But one of them was leave the world a better place, make a difference, have an impact. Social justice was a big part of our, my upbringing. So I think, you know, I, I remember being a little kid and like, pondering how to bring world peace, you know, and that like big, naive, idealistic things. So I think that played into, into it, but also because they were, my mom's a therapist, my dad's a counselor. I was really always talking about my feelings and my emotions and, and 
wanted to be better and to grow. Mm -hmm. I I relate to that. Um, I also was raised with no religion. Um, My grandfather was a psychoanalyst, so very psychologically oriented family, Um, which I've always said that like psychology is my religion. Mm. Like that is the framework that I use to understand everything. Um, And yet, uh, a, a lot of a lot of things wanting about that, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, okay, uh, Lori Mason wants to know what is her relationship with Lauren. So I can't actually have contact with her, in, I think until five years after her sentencing. But I've it could because of the there's a whole because of the civil case which she's oh. no longer a part of. But there's some like basic. Oh no, sorry, that was the judge's orders, and then there was a civil case. But we've let her out of that. So I just have to get permission from my lawyers and I've asked for that and I'm, I'm waiting for it. But I, mm-hmm. I but I, I think if she's seen the vow and seen, listened to the podcast. She'll know that I forgive her. I know that she was the, your maid of honor, right? At mm-hmm. your wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about your wedding now? <laughs> I have, mi- I have mixed feelings about my wedding now. Um, I think like at the time I thought it was really beautiful and really pretty and it was a great party. I still think it was a great party, but I also like any event in my life, it was like, let's have a, such a great time and show people who aren't part of our community. What a great, fun, amazing group we are. And then they'll be like, well, I want to do this. And then they'll join. Mm-hmm. So even though it was my wedding, it was also like a recruitment opportunity. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but it, it was. And as gross as that is, um, that's, that's everything was like that. So I also look back and and have talked to many family members who weren't part of it that were like weirded out, you know. And so seeing it through their eyes and being on the sidelines, going like, "Why are these people so happy?" Like we were just <laughs> yeah, like is that. What weird weirded them out? Yeah, it was like you know, ta da! Like we're so happy in this thing, and I get that. Like it's it's kind of creepy. Lori also wants to know. Um, <clears throat> oh, sorry. Quick thing. We've also since oh, yeah. renewed our vows because oh, nice. he threw out our first batch. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. There's a moment in season two that my husband and I, more my husband than me, but as well, walked around repeating and making fun of. And it's when Keith is like, love if you will. And then he goes on to describe something that's not, he's just talking to the camera pontificating, but it's like what he describes is not love at all. He's like, <clears throat> Essent- I don't know if you remember it. It was essentially like love is that thing, which, you know, makes you put up with immense amounts of pain and go against your value. I mean, it's just, I don't remember that bonkers. point, but it sounds like the word salad. Yes. Um, yeah. That it yes. is. I mean, were the vows that he came up with decent? God, I'd have to go. I'm going to read them to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, see if I can find vows. If I can find them, I would totally read them to you. Wedding vow. Um, the beauty of, do you ever wear old wedding vows, Handy? <laughs> I mean, at the time, I thought they were beautiful. I haven't read them since. Um, see if they're in my computer easy access. I'll read them. Oh, Rainieri vows. Here they are. Oh, yes. They're like, I see them, but they're like, it says downloading. I don't know. I'll, I'll keep looking. I'll, I'll see if this unload, if, if it downloads and you can. Okay. Wedding bow. All right. I'll move on yeah. to the last okay. question then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Wendy Curtis wants to know, <clears throat> on a lighter note, I saw you in a Hallmark Christmas <laughs> movie. How did that come about and what was your experience with it? So I'm an actor. 
before all of this um, happened, I was auditioning and doing Hallmark movies and um, I still do voice. I still do voiceover. I haven't been doing ca- on camera work since I moved because it's just too much. But um, yeah, I auditioned for Hallmark and did that movie. I think that's probably the one with my girlfriend, uh, Jen Finnegan. She's the one who I was sitting with at the mm-hmm. uh, Vow event. And so you would have seen her with, seen me mm-hmm. with her. And she and I have been friends since uh, the late 90s. You can believe it. And uh, yeah, we got to do that movie together. That was a big win and a uh, nice little break from my cult life. <laughs> um. I imagine so many people in your life are like, yay, we got Sarah back. Yes. Many people are like that, especially my mother. Yeah. Um, Okay. Real fast. Mm -hmm. Let's do Just Me or Everyone. Uh, We have a song. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. Uh, Sarah, do you have a just me or everyone? Yes, I do. I, um, and it actually relates to Nexium. So sometimes I have a, I have a tendency to over, um, think things and to catastrophize. And when I catastrophize, Same. yeah, I, I don't just see the thing like, you know, if I'm walking by a dark alley and I get scared. It's not just like I picture myself dead. I picture the headline, like <laughs> local actress found stabbed in alley. And so, mm. or like, I'm feeling nervous on a plane. Then I'm like the, the headline, like uh, Edmondson whistleblower family was tragic plane crash or whatever. Like I picture the, you know, the thing, but I've been doing this like since I was a teenager and I shared this once in Nexium, and Allison Mack was there and we were laughing because in my headline, I called it like local actress and <laughs> hers was like Smallville act, like she was much more famous than I was. Uh-huh. It was a Smallville, like Smallville actress or like a list or B list or whatever. Like she, she was, <laughs> right. you know, she had made herself bigger. She, yeah. She made herself bigger. And then what's just ironic and crazy about it is that we were, we were both in the headlines, like headlines yeah. actually were made like mm-hmm. for her, it was, you know, Smallville actress in sex call, like terrible headlines. <laughs> Thanks, media, you know, for humiliating all of us. But yeah, that's so that's something that I wonder if other people do. I'm sure other people do that. I don't do that specifically. um, Although I do imagine like if something happened to me, I just imagine that, you know, what a shame she was, you know, and then the the glowing praise probably. That's Mm -hmm. what I want. Um, Local podcaster. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) World world famous podcaster found dead in alley. Yeah. And then people will like, you know, they'll discover me and they'll be like, why didn't we appreciate her when she was here? Right. Um, And then they could make a museum where they die, where you go to station to station. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Get attractive mannequins, guys, please. (laughs) Don't have the final indignity of like some fugly mannequin. Yeah. And then also, do Mm -hmm. you have uh, a hey, go fuck yourself? Um, Yeah. The loyalists can go fuck themselves for not even talking to me when I left and deciding all these things about me and talking shit about me when they are looking in the wrong direction. Yes. Yeah. They go fuck themselves. Hey, 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 hey go, go fuck, fuck yourself. yourself. 
I love oh. that jingle. <laughs> Thank Hippie. you. It's very re- feels good, right? They have a they go fuck yourself jingle. Yeah, we have a what that chaps my ass section. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah, but I like that jingle better. I think we could Thank probably you. we could we could say it that go fuck yourself almost every episode. I mean, yeah. oh, oh, can I do one more? Yes. <laughs> this is the one I originally thought when you emailed. I forgot about this. All the fucking child predators out there. Go fuck yourself. Don't mess with the kids. Yeah. Hey, 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 go yeah. fuck yourself. All right. I'm done. Here's a, a bit of it. Just me or everyone. I feel like this is probably, and it's just me or every parent. I imagine you too, though. But like when I, if I, when I imagine someone potentially harming my kids, I am like, I want to kill them. You know what? Mm-hmm. That's everyone. I don't even need to bring this up. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I actually, just, sidebar, uh, I just, um, interviewed somebody who I was listening to her podcast and she did one about like how to protect your kids from predators oh. and pedophiles. And there's lots you can do. That I didn't know about. I'll send it. What to is, yeah. 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 What is her podcast? It's called the deep with Zoe Marshall it's from Australia. Okay. Yeah. And so I was like, um, is, yeah, it's really good. Uh, Oh, did, did the, did uh, the vows download? Oh, let me see. Oh, okay. So, okay. No, this, this is, um, not the attachment, but this is a chunk mm-hmm. of it in okay. the body of the email. Okay, okay. ready? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. This probably sounds like word salad. Love stands in contrast to the fear of isolated human existence. It is expansive and all-encompassing, never small, contracted, or guarded. It goes beyond all circumstances and situation, never limited or produced by anything of this world. Whenever... Whenever we recognize love through any gateway of thought or form, it seeks to fill and touch even the darkest corners of our lives. At times, this expansive power of love finds us timid in its presence, fearful to embrace our potential goodness and light. We must never shy away from love. On this earth, we are all fortunate to have each other. Each and every one of us brings a possibility of love to the rest of the world. No one is excluded from holding this torch. But the most fortunate gift of living, ex- of living existence is finding our love kindled through the life of another a special other with whom we have the privilege of walking this earth. This is the vow. To me, you are my love in human form. You are all poetry, beauty, awe, and joy. In my every experience, there you are. You hold my senses in self and beauty. In the sound of the wind, I hear your breath. In the most beautiful vista, I discover your face. With every feeling that I am, so I am with you. I don't know what that means. Mm-mm. I vow to the end of human possibility to never forget or forsake this love. A relationship such as ours holds the deepest, most sacred human treasures. It can also bring the most trying experiences of worldly life. I vow that there will be no trial of life or test of circumstance through which I will surrender this love to the convenience of anger or fear. This I promise you to my last breath. The love I have with you is indeed that strong. You are the basis which I stand to extend love to all other things of this earth, and our union serves as the source of the expression of all love beyond myself. In practical life, I will always hold out my best for you against any and all adversity. I will fill each moment with this promise, remembering someday one of these moments will be our last and only my very best and truly honor our time together. That part used to make me cry. I love you with all that I know to be me and this love will serve as my guide for the rest of time. Hmm. And he had each of you say that? So he'd he'd written... um, He'd written Mark and Bonnie's vows mm-hmm. and I wasn't at that wedding, um, but I'd heard they were beautiful. And then when we got married, uh, 
we asked if we could borrow them. And then we did. And then they became like the vows that everybody read when they got married. I'm going to say everybody, like I knew about two or three other couples that got married in the years after they also used the vows. So that became and the thing. Who, so he did not perform the service though? No, he didn't travel out of Albany. Um, that preamble to the vow, Lauren, I believe read, or maybe Mark Vicente read. So Mark and Lauren were at my wedding and, and Nancy, those are the main high ranking people that were there and some other people that you wouldn't know about, but, um, Nikki was there. Mark Elliott was there. Uh, I mean, lots of Nexian people were there, but in terms mm-hmm. of high rank, it was Nancy who like was grumpy and sick and stood in the back. I don't know why I think she, I think she was feeling guilt. <laughs> That's my projection oh. that knowing what I know now. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lauren performed, Lauren officiated the wedding actually. Mm-hmm. Technically Nippy and I were already married. We had done the stuff to get his green, his uh, permanent residence in Canada going. So we were, mar- oh. we were married and then we were just having a big party. So she officiated the ceremony, but it was, got it, you know, a pomp. Um, and then we read the vows to each other. Thank you for sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. That was a real treat. And That's actually treat. It, 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 it was, those are emotional vows. Yeah, they were. They were word salad They were a little word salad but moments of goodness, which is sort of how it always went. Yeah. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for giving us even a little bit of extra time. I appreciate it so My much. Um, we are going to give away a copy of your uh, wonderful memoir, Scarred. And uh, we had a little conversation beforehand about how to do this. Because like I, I think I said, it's been a while since I've done a giveaway. So the way we're going to do it is please post a story on Instagram saying what part of this episode you liked. Tag me. Allison Rosen and tag a little bit culty. Is it, do they just write at a little bit culty? Yeah. Tag a little, at a little bit culty and, and me at Sarah Edmondson. That's Sarah, son of Edmond with a D. Um, <laughs> people always forget that. And then, um, yeah, I'd love to know what you, what you thought of it. And then I will sign a book and send it to you. Yes. Here in Atlanta. Um, yeah. Tag me too at Allison Rosen. Uh, and then we will choose at random and this is going to come out on a Monday and we will choose um, by that the that the following Friday. Perfect. Um, so you have five days to enter the contest and win a mm-hmm. uh, an autographed copy of the book. Um, Sarah, tell everyone uh, where they can find you. Plug everything you'd like to plug, please. Thank you. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Sarah Edmondson. A little bit culty. You can get my book on Audible. I narrated it, or you can buy a hard copy wherever you buy books. Amazon. Barnes and Noble or wherever you go. Um, also, if you are a cult survivor and you need resources uh, or you think you might be in a cult, go to a little bit culty.com slash resources. There's lots of places to go there. I'm not a therapist or an expert, but I recommend a bunch, including hashtag I got out, which is the, the social media movement equivalent of hashtag me too for survivors. And I'm very passionate about all of that. And I think that's it. And uh, if you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't, please make sure you're subscribed. Tell a friend. Leave us a nice uh, review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It helps out the show immensely. Follow me on social media at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, listen to my other podcast, Childish. It's my parenting-ish podcast. And I'm on Cameo. I already mentioned patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Um, subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen. That is a lot of stuff. Tony, what about you? Uh, oh, it feels weird to to speak because I was just trying to stay out of the way here. Um, <laughs> uh, just the normal Twitter and Instagram at Tony Paxton. Uh, Bizarre albums every Tuesday. 
Wonderful. Sarah, thank you again. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you. Same here. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I really love talking to you. I appreciate your candor and and all of that. And I'm glad we finally got a chance to connect. Same here. Um, listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time.